Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Arc's FYI podcast. My name is Yasin. I cover Bitcoin and crypto at Arc, and today I'm extremely excited to introduce a moderated conversation between Kathy Wood, Jack Dorsey, and Elon Musk about Bitcoin. On July 21st, Arc, in collaboration with Square, Paradigm, and CCI hosted The B Word, a Bitcoin-focused initiative that aims to explain how institutions can embrace Bitcoin and support the network. We were able to compile over eight hours worth of content from 43 different speakers that can now all be accessed and rewatched at thebword.org. We were honored to have as keynote speakers, Kathy, Jack, and Elon, who engaged in what I thought was an entertaining, informative, and focused discussion about the promise of Bitcoin. So in this episode, we're going to relive that conversation. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to The B Word. I'm Steve Lee, the lead of Square Crypto, and I'm here today to moderate a discussion about Bitcoin that will span from what makes it special to the its relationship with energy, the community ethos, and the future of Bitcoin. I'm joined by three special guests. The first is Kathy Wood, founder, CEO, and CIO of ARK Invest. Next is Elon Musk, techno king of Tesla and chief engineer of SpaceX. (laughs) And finally, Jack Dorsey, CEO of Square and CEO of Twitter. So we have a lot to talk about today. So let's get to the talk and get right to it. I'm going to start off by asking each of you a question, which is, What's shaped and influenced your views on Bitcoin? And let's start with Kathy. Okay, Steve, thank you. Well, the first thing was our focus on disruptive innovation. So starting in 2011, Brett Winton, our director of research, who I know will be on the program later, he started talking about this thing called Bitcoin at the time. And it was a curiosity as we were doing our brainstorms and research. But as we learned more about this open source ecosystem, that might fulfill the role of the payment system that the internet neglected to build into the system, not expecting commerce, we thought, hmm, this might be something. And then I became even more interested when I realized that my economics would come into play as well here. And Art Laffer, my mentor from USC, and a monetary scholar. In 2014, I asked him if he would collaborate on a paper on Bitcoin. He was a bit of a naysayer at first, but agreed to read the paper. He read the paper, tore it up, and from an economics point of view, really wanted to understand this. And he said, you know, I think you got something here. This is a rules-based monetary system. I've been waiting for this for my entire career. So the combination of disruptive innovation generally, economics on top of that, and the huge misunderstanding out there as to what this is, that was intriguing and launched our research effort. Thank you. Elon, what's influenced your views on Bitcoin? Well, I've thought about money for quite a while, obviously, since the PayPal days. And then the companies that preceded that, X.com, which I created, and that Confinity, which Peter Thiel, Max Levchin, Luke Howery, and others created. We combined the companies and made PayPal. So I've been thinking about money for a long time. It's best to think of money as an information system, primarily an information system for labor allocation. And for practical purposes, it exists in a series of heterogeneous databases, very different databases in bank mainframes around the world. It moves quite slowly in reality. It may seem to move fast sometimes, and it does with PayPal, which is real time. But the vast majority of the systems out there are batch processing. So the actual reconciliation may take one to five 
business days, sometimes longer. And you have the ACH system, which is ancient and still still in operation, which allows transfers effectively like a check would be an ACH transfer, but it's not secure. And you've got the credit card systems, which are also uh, not secure. It would be like handing your username and password to a stranger in a restaurant if you buy a meal. So there's definitely an opportunity for something that is better from an information theory standpoint. And there you can think of it like data on a network, I think, is the way to view it. What has the most throughput? What has the least error? Lost or drops the fewest packets? Fraud, for example, being a source of error. And the government interference in currencies being a source of error. But it's fundamentally an information system. So I think it makes sense to support something that improves the quality of information with which we conduct the economy. And Bitcoin is a candidate for that. It does, I think, some things... And it's evolving, and there are additional things like Lightning being done on top of Bitcoin. But Bitcoin, per se, is mostly solving for scarcity, or rather solving for essentially having no throat to choke, decentralized. So there's no one who can be coerced in any way to empty that Bitcoin account. Well, I guess they could technically buy it on an individual basis, but the system as a whole cannot. And it has an open ledger, which is quite good. But transaction volume is low, transaction cost is high, and usability for the average person is not yet very good. But it has a lot of potential. And I should say that, I apologize for taking a long time, but there certainly is a lot to say. In general, I'm a supporter of Bitcoin and the idea of cryptocurrency in general. But as I've said publicly, we do need to watch out for crypto taking, especially Bitcoin, using proof of work to maybe used energy that's maybe a bit too much and not necessarily good for the environment. So, but on balance, I support Bitcoin. And I'm not an investor. The only publicly traded stock I own is Tesla. And the only significant thing I own outside of Tesla is my SpaceX stock that helped create both companies. So, but apart from that, I do own Bitcoin. And Tesla owns Bitcoin, SpaceX owns Bitcoin. And I do personally own a bit of Ethereum and Dogecoin, of course. So... Thank you. And we'll get into some of those issues in more depth as well. Jack, how about you? What shaped your views of Bitcoin? The network and the community. It's deeply principled. It's weird as hell. It's always evolving. And it just reminded me of the internet when I was a kid. And I encountered alt cypherpunks when I was fairly young. And this was a topic of discussion for years. I didn't touch it until 2008 when we started Square. Elon and teams at X and PayPal inspired a lot of what we were trying to do, trying to bring in more to a physical world. But we encountered this crazy predatory system that was slow, that was obtuse. And I think one of the things that we tried to do, which X and PayPal also tried to do, is build an abstraction layer around this complication and around this predatory nature that the financial industry can tend to be and make it work for people. But when I saw Bitcoin in 2009 you see a chance to replace the whole foundation. And everything that Elon was talking about in terms of ACH and the credit card networks were built with very different agendas in a very different time frame. And it's crazy that they still exist and they have scaled, but they just are not relevant to today. And they're certainly not relevant to the future, especially when you consider the entire world and countries like Nigeria or Ghana or India. And it's interconnection with countries like the United States and Canada and all over Europe. So what really drove my thinking and drives my passion around it is if the internet gets a chance to get a native currency, what will that be? And to me, it's Bitcoin because of those principles, because of that creation story, because of its resilience, because of the number of tests it's been. But what inspires me the most is just the community driving it. It just reminds me of the early internet. It's, it's the only reason that I have a career because I learned so much from people like who are building Bitcoin today. And I continue to learn in that sense. And I'm so grateful for it. That's a good segue. And the next question I'd like to ask you, Jack, is you said before the Bitcoin changes everything. Can you speak more to that? I just think that a lot of what we experience in life, when you really get down to the foundation, a lot of our monetary policies, a lot of our monetary systems cause so much distraction and so much cost. And when you get to a system where the potential for people to truly own it, they can verify it themselves. You don't have to have trust going in. You don't have to trust it at all. You can verify it through source code or whatever your appetite is. And that any particular person can help drive the future of it. 
And at the same time, it's not controlled by any state. It's not controlled by any bank. It's not controlled by any corporation. And these three parties of people who participate in the network, people who mine, and also the developers constantly debating the correct roadmap and the way forward is a beautiful thing. And I don't know of many other consensus-based models that have existed at that scale for this long with this amount of success. And we're still fairly early. I met a woman in Ethiopia two years ago, and she was trying to create the lift for Ethiopia. Elon, I think I reached out to you at that time as well because she really wanted some Teslas. She still has to take paper fiat cash from her passengers and pay all of her drivers in the same way because there's no monetary system that she can utilize. There's nothing digital. And Africa as a continent is hugely interconnected from a monetary standpoint, but also hugely taxed in that same way. So a lot of the potential that I see the internet having a, a native currency helps her build her business in a much faster way. And also, if you consider something like Bitcoin existing before YouTube, before Twitter, before Facebook, a lot of the business models that we have today would not be the same. We would certainly not have the dependency we have upon the advertising business model if Bitcoin existed pre-Twitter. And I think the amount of business models that it enables, the amount of innovation it enables going forward, especially when you can consider the whole internet instead of going country by country by country by country, which you have to whenever you're dealing with finance, it really just opens the aperture. And that is what I want to see in my lifetime, is a currency that is standard and sound for the internet that everyone can use. Great. A hallmark of Bitcoin is its fixed supply of 21 million coins. Elon referenced that earlier. It may be the first system that humans have created that humans cannot later change. Kathy, I'm curious, with your background in monetary history and macroeconomics, what are your thoughts on that type of system? I'll recount the story about Art Laffer and our going through the paper. And he said, as I said, first rules-based monetary system global ever. This is a very big idea. Once we had convinced him of the ecosystem itself, the role that it's playing, given that the rule is a quantity rule, that 21 million units, is really a store of value role. So there are three roles of money, store of value, very important, the means of exchange, so for transactions, and the unit of account, so every good priced in terms of whatever the unit is. So store of value is its primary use right now. The others exist with unit of account, reserve currency of the crypto asset ecosystem. That's being seeded a little bit towards uh, stable coins right now. But the store of value is a very big role and means of exchange with apps built on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, we think is going to become more of a reality. Right now, high value transactions take place over Bitcoin, and that is a very useful role. So we look at those, and I remember saying to Art, how big could this be? And he said, well, how big is the U.S. monetary base? Well, today it's $8 trillion dollars. $8 trillion. At the time we were talking, it was $4 trillion. So we've gone through another crisis since then. And so the store of value, this idea that purchasing power will go up over time if demand rises relative to supply, supply ultimately fixed at 21 million units. That's a very good thing. Purchasing power going up globally around the world and this idea that it's a hedge against confiscation of wealth, and that can take place in a myriad of ways, but inflation, and especially hyperinflation in emerging markets, is the primary way. Talk about destroying purchasing power. So that's a very big idea. And I'll also mention deflation. In some ways, it's a hedge against deflation. I know some people are confused that we at ARC think that we're in a deflationary environment here in the United States. If that is true, the odds of a hyperinflation in the rest of the world, especially in emerging markets, is also true. So, But this deflation, and we learned from 0809, there's counterparty risk associated with deflation. And I think Bitcoin would be a hedge against that eventuality as well. So it's a very big idea. I suspect among us, there's not a lot of debate about Bitcoin's potential as a store of value, 
But Jack, you referenced earlier becoming the native currency of the internet. Can you speak more to that and also how it relates to maybe how institutions think about it? Yeah, I mean, just a simple example. If uh, I happen to be in Ghana and my family is in Nigeria, currently they need to send money back and take anywhere from 10 to 30% off the top just to send that money back. Whereas if you just focus on the worldwide remittance problem, Bitcoin solves so many of those problems today instantly without having to go through any intermediaries or any slowness or complicated systems that a corporation or a state created. So I think having sound money with that is separate from the state is the idea. Having it completely verifiable by everyone, including the state, including corporations, including individuals, including developers who want to build on top of it, is quite powerful. And that's what keeps it secure and strong. And I think we need more of that, which is one of the reasons why this conversation is so important is entities come into the space. It's not just buying an asset and holding on to an asset and treating it as an investment. There's something special that created this and something precious and something very unique, which has to be protected and we need to do whatever we can to help that thrive as well. Elon, I'm curious your opinion on this. You mentioned earlier about Bitcoin's throughput or the importance of throughput, maybe some concerns around Bitcoin. Do you think Bitcoin can become peer-to-peer cash? Well, Bitcoin does have a fundamental scarcity limit at the base layer that's designed in. That doesn't mean you can't have some layer two system in theory like Lightning. And I understand Lightning is doing well in some small countries. There's some question mark as to whether you need a money transmitter license, just a debate as to whether that it is not open ledger. So that's a whole separate debate, of course. But Bitcoin by itself simply cannot scale to be the monetary system for the world at base layer. But with a second layer, this is possible depending upon how that second layer is implemented. And that's part of why I think there's, there may be some merit, something that may seem silly like Dogecoin. The three things I own outside of SpaceX and Tesla, <laughs> obviously it's a Neuralink and Boring Company, but of any significance are Bitcoin by far, and then some Ethereum and some Doge. If the price of Bitcoin goes down, I lose money. I'm not sort of, you know, I might pump, but I don't dump. <laughs> so I definitely do not believe in getting the price high and selling or anything like that. And I would like to see Bitcoin succeed. This is not a slam of Bitcoin. There's some merit to consider considering something that has higher max transaction rates and lower transaction cost, and kind of seeing how far you could take a single layer network where the exchanges act as a de facto second layer. I think you can probably take that further than people realize. And as bandwidth increases over time, latency decreases, SpaceX and Starlink is actually playing a role in this. And I think long-term, people will probably have worldwide access to gigabit level connectivity at low latency. And so at low cost. And so then your base layer could do a lot of transactions if you take that into account. Like I said, Bitcoin with a layer two system certainly could scale to do a vast number of transactions. Same goes for Ethereum. Question about the scaling at the layer one. The concern from the past five years of debate in the Bitcoin community is that that would sacrifice too much uh, decentralization and hurt the censorship resistant properties of Bitcoin. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Are you sensitive to that? And are you concerned about losing some of the special properties of Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency by scaling at layer one? Yeah, I mean, these things are helpful to like use the physics tools of thinking and say, you know, scale up, scale down and see if it still makes sense. So if scaling up the transaction block doesn't make sense, why don't you scale it down and have it be, you know, so that somebody with a laptop from 2008 can still run a Bitcoin node. One slow down. Oh, you want to slow down? Well, maybe you're at the wrong number then. <laughs> there are members in the community that do want to slow it down. <laughs> but I understand you. It's, it's silly. The reality is like the average person is not going to run a Bitcoin node. And Bitcoin was a lot of clever ideas, but these parameters were set, I don't know, what, in 2008 or something? Uh, maybe 2009. There have been some improvements uh, since then, but not a lot. In 2008, there was still a non-trivial number of people on modems. <laughs> so now it is quite common to get a 100 megabit connection just for a house. Some houses have gigabit connections. That trend is obviously in the direction of higher bandwidth and lower latency. And if somebody else doesn't do it, Starlink certainly will. So I have high confidence that you will be able to maintain a decentralized finance system while still having a much bigger blockchain, a.k.a. ASCII text ledger, <laughs> a hash ledger, 
you can make the hash ledger bigger without suffering from decentralization as the average connectivity improves, obviously. One idea would be to put a Bitcoin full node in Starlink terminals. That way more people would be running. Actually, <laughs> I have run this by the team at one point. I had this idea, which is kind of off the wall, but like, let's say you need a little space heater and normally your space heater would just be pure entropy. But what if that space heater was also a Bitcoin, Ethereum, Doge mining node? Pick your currency. And so then you'd be heated up and you would also mine your crypto and have connectivity in one. I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, better than running a space heater. Absolutely. So you're drawn to Dogecoin a little bit. Are there any other gaps in Bitcoin that you see that cause you to be drawn towards Dogecoin? Oh, I think, <laughs> I mean, the Doge community, I think, has is somewhat irreverent, obviously, and has great memes and loves dogs. And I love dogs and memes. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's Occam's Razor, which is the simplest answer is the most likely. It's a summary of Occam's Razor. The simplest answer is the most likely one. Then there's a friend of mine came up with a variant on that, that the most ironic outcome is the most likely one. And then I have a variant on that, which is the most entertaining outcome is the most likely one. So if that is true, then the most ironic and entertaining outcome would be that the, the cryptocurrency that was started as a joke <laughs> to make fun of cryptocurrencies ends up being the leading cryptocurrency. <laughs> that would be the most ironic outcome. Jack, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> is Bitcoin resilient enough to overcome that? I think it's resilient, but also I think, I mean, that's what attracts me to, to Bitcoin in the first place is the irreverence. A lot of that just brings it forward. And at first go, it makes it a little bit inaccessible, but as people get into it, it makes it more accessible and more spreadable. And I absolutely think the resilience is there. I think it's important to have fun as well. Anyway, folks can express themselves. I think that goes back to the main idea of like, how do we create a native currency for the internet? Anything that goes towards that path, like that's whatever wackiness or fun we can have along the way, that's going to make it a lot more enjoyable and it's going to make a lot more people want to use it. I'd also point out there's nothing stopping someone from creating a Bitcoin wallet that's like fun and has memes, has dogs. That's possible as well. <laughs> Let's move on to the next topic, which is Bitcoin and energy. It's a really hot topic that lots of people are talking about. Let's start with Elon. You've been vocal on this. You said many things about it. You've also said that Tesla will resume in Bitcoin payments if the renewable energy is approximately 50% and sort of looks like it's on a positive future yes. trend. What do you think the state of things are with respect to that? I do think that there appears to be a positive trend in the energy usage of Bitcoin. Uh, actually, part of this is due to the drop in Bitcoin price. So what I observed or what I thought I was seeing, there may be some disagreements on this, but from when Tesla announced that it had acquired Bitcoin and was doing Bitcoin transactions, there was a massive run-up in the Bitcoin price and also a massive increase in the amount of energy used to mine Bitcoin. I understand renewable energy quite a bit. I mean, Tesla does solar and interacts with a lot of wind generation through our mega pack because we basically need to store energy from wind and from solar. So we're pretty plugged into the renewable energy industry. And there's just no way that you could basically double or triple the amount of energy in such a short period of time with renewables. But you could shovel coal that fast. And so I was like, look, this is too sketchy. Tesla's mission is accelerating the advent of sustainable energy. We can't be the company that does that and also not do appropriate diligence on the energy usage of Bitcoin. So all I did was I said, look, we're going to suspend Bitcoin transactions for now. We're not selling any Bitcoin, nor am I selling anything personally, or nor is SpaceX selling any Bitcoin. Again, I want to emphasize SpaceX, Tesla, and I own Bitcoin. I also own a little bit of Ethereum and Doge, but the companies just own Bitcoin. And the Bitcoin that I own is worth much more than the Ethereum or Doge. So these actions negatively affect me financially. If I was purely financially motivated, then I would not express this reticence about Bitcoin energy usage. Now, it looks like Bitcoin is shifting a lot more towards renewables and a bunch of the heavy-duty coal plants that were being used, unequivocally being used, this is not a question mark, have been shut down, especially in China. So I think we want to do a little bit more diligence to confirm that the confirm that the percentage of renewable energy usage is most likely about or above 50%, and that there is a trend towards increasing that number. And if so, then Tesla will resume accepting Bitcoin. So 
I think we want to do just do a little bit more diligence. And I think, but most likely the answer is that Tesla would resume accepting Bitcoin, most likely. Elon, I'm not quite sure if you saw the paper that Square and ARC did together on making Bitcoin mining a part of a utility, a broad-based utility ecosystem, whereby the overage from sunshine or wind powers the Bitcoin mining machine, thereby enabling the proliferation of renewables to a much faster extent or at a faster rate than otherwise would be the case. What do you think of that? Well, the problem is that in order to operate so-called mining or hashing rigs, in order to operate a bunch of hashing rigs effectively, you have to run them 24-7, which means you need baseload. You can do that with uh, solar and wind plus battery, but if you only did it based on solar wind overage, your hashing regularization would be much less. So you'd be at a disadvantage. Hydro or geothermal are great as renewable means. I'm also pro-nuclear. I think modern nuclear power plants are safe, uh, contrary to what people may think. So mm-hmm. I really think we're, you know, we're, it's, it's possible to make very extremely safe <laughs> nuclear. I'm talking about fission. You don't need fusion. <laughs> and then, of course, fusion, you just got that big fusion reactor in the sky called the sun. It comes up every day. But I think a combination of solar and wind plus stationary storage will get you that base load so you can run hashing 24-7. Jack, I'm curious. You've stated that Bitcoin incentivizes renewable energy. That's what we're talking about now. Do you have any additional thoughts on that? Everything that Elon said and Kathy mentioned, but it's also incentivizing a lot of innovation in just energy space and just like looking at unused energy. There's a company called Great American Mining that caps the methane flares on oil fields to power their rigs. And you just imagine, and you mentioned nuclear Elon as well, and just imagine all the unused energy that is just being wasted every single day. And being able to get that energy and converting it into a secure, sound money system for the planet feels like a worthy trade-off. And that's the sort of incentive that I think is most powerful is like, how do we reuse what is being currently just dumped on the ground and wasted and not considered? And how do we do that at scale? I think that's a bigger conversation that I think is missing. But I agree with everything that Elon has said and also, you know, the paper we put forth. I'm curious if any of you have thoughts on how the industry can do to accelerate this transition to renewable energy. Elon, specifically, could Tesla Energy or Starlink play a role? I think Tesla can play a role. I mean, Tesla's literal reason for existence. I mean, the reason I've put so much of my life energy into Tesla, which is a lot. I would say that I've had some pretty tough life experiences, and Tesla is responsible for probably two-thirds of all personal and professional pain combined just to give you a sense of perspective there. So this is a hella hard situation. But we do solar, commercial solar, solar retrofit, as well as the solar roof. And we make consumer battery packs called Powerwall for houses and small businesses. And then the utility scale, which are gigantic. We've done now a number of gigawatt hour installations. That's a lot. (laughs) And a lot of them actually have been for load leveling the grid. Mostly they are. The first really big one we did, which is, 100 megawatt installation in Australia, that's actually helped stabilize a huge portion of the South Australian grid because it's able to react so fast. In fact, at first, they've got a billing system in Australia that I think works at the sort of millisecond level and we were operating at the microsecond level. <laughs> so the system was operating so fast that the measuring system couldn't see it. But so Tesla's certainly doing a lot to enable renewables, especially wind and solar. And in fact, the limiting factor for us right now is cell production. So we need to both internally get our the Tesla internal battery cells produced, as well as increase supply from suppliers. I mean, generally, when I talk to our suppliers, they say, well, how many cells would you like us? So how many cells can you make? You know, because sometimes they're like concerned, like, well, is Tesla going to compete with them on cells? I'm like, no, no, if you want to make the cells, be our guest. It's just that we need a crazy number of batteries. It obviously needs to be mined and produced and manufactured in ethical and environmentally sound way. So at Tesla, we really do aspire to be the good guys, like, you know, to be a company that people can believe in. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, but that's what we try. But I think generally hydro, especially existing hydro, is good for mining. Geothermal, there's lots of places in the world that have geothermal energy. Nuclear is also good. So as I said earlier, (laughs) the expectation is not like that the energy production must be pure as the driven snow. It also cannot be using the world's dirtiest coal, which was 
for a moment there. So that's just difficult for Tesla to support in that situation. But I do think long-term renewable energy will actually be the cheapest form of energy. It just doesn't happen overnight. But as long as there is a conscious and determined and real effort by the mining community to move towards renewables, then obviously Tesla can support that. That's great. Kathy, we've been talking a lot about energy, but many institutions are facing questions around Bitcoin's relationship with ESG. Can you maybe speak a little bit more to what is S and G in ESG and how Bitcoin might support those? Sure. So E, of course, is environmental, S is social, and G is governance. And there is a massive movement afoot in the institutional world, especially, to embrace ESG and make sure that their asset managers are doing the same. So we've just talked about environmental, and I really do believe that Bitcoin will be much more environmentally friendly, certainly than traditional gold mining or the traditional financial services sector. In many ways, it already is. And it's just going to get better that way. In terms of social, I know that many institutions, when they are thinking of social, they think of diversity and equity, pay equity and all of that. But from our point of view, the disruptive innovation point of view, social is much more than that. It is saving lives, of course, autonomous technology, that would be another topic for Elon. But in this case, allowing access to payment technology, as Jack is saying, everywhere around the world without friction. And just back to the remittance example, I think if I've got these stats correctly, there are certain countries in the world that are incredibly dependent on remittances for GDP. Tonga, 37%. El Salvador, which just deemed Bitcoin legal currencies, 24%. Nepal, 24%. And I think the remittance industry globally, roughly $700 billion. So saving people these egregious fees, you know, think about it, you're paying anywhere from 8% to, as Jack said, 30% of your $100 that you're sending back to your family. That is a social responsibility, I would submit, as is just the economic empowerment that Bitcoin will enable. We've talked about that already. And I know that Alex Gladstein is going to be talking later about the 4.3 billion people in the world who are hostage to authoritarian regimes or the 1.3 billion who are living in double-digit and triple-digit inflation, if not more, saving them from the destruction of their purchasing power certainly is a noble social goal. So we expand social to be much more than the traditional ESG community. And then on governance, you've got the transparency of the ecosystem. It's completely transparent, unlike the opaqueness of financial systems and the toll takers in the traditional financial world. And I think a huge part of governance in the Bitcoin ecosystem are the Bitcoin core developers. Now, before I met them, and I've had the pleasure and the honor of meeting many of them, that was a part of this ecosystem I didn't understand. But actually getting to sit down and talk to them, if I have a learning curve need, it certainly is on the technology side. But in terms of talking to them about economics, economic theory, failed monetary regimes historically, they know economic history, many of them better than anyone I've ever met. So that gives me a great degree of confidence that they do believe they're on a noble mission. They could be paid a lot more than they're being paid right now if they worked at Google or Facebook or some of these other areas, but they've chosen this sense of purpose for a noble goal and they have incredibly strong technology backgrounds so as well as a good understanding of economic history, especially monetary history. And it gives me a great deal of comfort as I think about the governance of the ecosystem, much more so than I think we would find in other financial ecosystems. And just to give you an example of that, there's a big debate about reorganizations. I know in the Ethereum network right now, well, we saw the core Bitcoin developers and others at work back in 2019 when Binance tried to reorganize 
in order to reclaim 7,000 Bitcoin that were hacked. And they just wouldn't allow it. So we've already had some very good tests of the Bitcoin ecosystem, including developers. So that would be my answer. Thank you. And it's a great transition to the next topic area, which is Bitcoin ethos. And what is Bitcoin ethos? I mean, Bitcoin was born as open source and it's very transparent. There's also a staunch defense from the community around decentralization and a lot of the core principles of Bitcoin. So let's talk a little bit about that and what makes it special. Jack, Square has done a lot to support open source Bitcoin. Can you tell us a little bit about what Square has done and what advice you'd have for other institutions looking to follow in its footsteps? Yeah, I mean, I was very skeptical of corporations when I was a kid, and I'm still skeptical of corporations today. And as we've used corporations to be, they've been great vessels for what we need to do and the ideas that we need to bring to the world. But Bitcoin is not that. And when we were considering Bitcoin and how Square intersected, I was really concerned with how we don't disrupt the community in a negative way, how we promote what is amazing about it and how we help it grow in that way, in the way that it wants to. So we created your team, Steve, which is Square Crypto, which is hiring open source developers to work on whatever they want and whatever they think is most important to help Bitcoin. We created an organization called Popo, which we gave up all of our crypto patents so that the community can use them in defense against trolls and some crazy characters we won't name. And we continue to find ways that, like, Following that Bitcoin path, we're going to create a hardware wallet. We're probably going to do a lot more in hardware. Everything that we do in the space is going to be completely open source from the hardware design to the software, taking in the community's push. And we're building a developer platform as well in the same open development, open source, and completely transparent. So I think as institutions or companies like ours consider getting in the space, I think contribution back to the community is important. Tessa did this with accepting payments for Tessa and finding security holes and improving the stack. And as I said before, we can't just see this as an asset that we own and, and an investment vehicle. This is something that has the potential to change everything and make the lives of everyone on this planet better in some small, maybe marginal way, but those margins will be meaningful as a compound over time. Great. Elon, you've tweeted before that any wallet that doesn't give the user their private keys should be avoided at all costs. Can you tell us more about why is that important and what's its relationship with decentralization? Well, it's difficult to say that if you own crypto in an exchange and the exchange does not give you your private keys, it's not clear that you own anything. I mean, if there's something, if that exchange breaks or is hacked or is subject to seizure by the government or something like that, your crypto is gone. So in order to actually have a properly decentralized finance, which I'm a fan of, I think it makes sense, then you have to own your private keys. And you should be the only one who has your private keys. <laughs> so if you're the only one who has the private keys, then you own it. <laughs> if someone else has your private keys, effectively, they own it too. And the security of your crypto is then dependent upon them or any entity that can affect them. So I think what Jack's doing so sounds like a good idea to have a hardware wallet. That's the only thing that contains your private keys. In terms of sort of empowering the people, which I very much believe in, then I think you want to have people have their own wallets and, and be the only ones that have the private keys to that wallet. So, so-called wallet, <laughs> the other side of the, <laughs> of the crypto. Right. <laughs> I think- agree. And I, think, <laughs> I think we'll see an emergence, too, of new solutions that use multi-sig, like with a two of three keys, where the user has two keys and then you get assisted custody by having an institutional hold a third key can be a good solution as well. Yeah. Well, you can just put your private key in something that has dual access or voting access as an application on an existing network. So the Bitcoin community is known for staunchly defending Bitcoin's principles. Sometimes it can be rude and aggressive, but I think what it stems from is just a desire to not have wealthy or powerful people or institutions uh, negatively impacting Bitcoin or sort of changing the rules in favor of them. I'm curious to hear from each of you what role you feel like you and your own institutions, your own companies, what role can you play in Bitcoin and how do you positively impact it without having these negative drawbacks? Kathy, maybe start with you. 
Sure. Well, ARC has stood for two things, democratization and transparency. We're the closest you'll find to a venture capital fund in the public equity markets. And I kind of feel that we have Bitcoin's DNA from that point of view. So one of the things in terms of democratization is education. We have one of our missions, values is to educate. And I do believe that some of Yassine Almandra's white papers, Yassine's our lead crypto analyst, who's worked very closely with you, Steve, on this conference, are helping the cause. We've done, and not only for retail investors, we found that we had to do a bit more when it came to institutional investors, just because of the way that they invest and the way they like to receive information. So just like in our investments, we've been, the retail community has been more attracted to us first, and now the institutional community is coming along. So I do think our transparency of research, especially in the social world, social media, pushing our research out for free to anyone is part of our way of helping the community. And I do think encouraging, and this is something that Jack just said, I would encourage the support of the Bitcoin core developer community. As I said before, it's amazing to me, having gotten to know some of them, how strong their sense of purpose is here. So we'd like to be helpful in making that happen as well. That's great. Jack, how about you? How do you view your own personal role in the companies you run? I think my, my own personal role through the companies I run is to really push for more decentralization. Like at everything that we intend to do with the wallet being non-custodial, building a developer platform, focusing on non-custodial solutions. On the Square side is important, being completely open development and open source. But I also think it's important on the Twitter side as well. My biggest focus right now is on a decentralized social media protocol. We're calling it Blue Sky. It's super, super early. But we've learned a lot from what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin and why that's important. I've learned a lot in that sense as well. And I think, you know, just continuing to push on that thread and show it with our actions every single day in support of this community that's taught me so much and I think will benefit so many people. That's what I'm focused on. What about letting Twitter advertisers pay in crypto? I think enabling anyone, as you know, Elon, like if we had Bitcoin or native currency for the internet before Twitter started, it just creates so many different business models that we wouldn't have to be so dependent upon advertising generally. And I do believe that we have them, any form of payment that they want to use, we should be able to take. So absolutely. But I'm more focused on like, how do we create economic incentives in the network itself without having to rely on advertising? Yeah, the money has to come off of the, I mean, the crypto so-called coins, the hash strings have to come off the and get translated into real products and services. So the more sort of off-ramps there are to real products and services, even at the institutional level, although, I mean, there are certainly many small advertisers on Twitter, it seems like accepting Bitcoin, maybe some other cryptos for advertising payments on Twitter would be supportive of Bitcoin. 100%. And also looking at just general commerce through Twitter itself. Sorry, what, Elon? I was asking Jack if he's going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Can we get a product announcement today? Elon, how about you? You're a big personality on Twitter. What are your thoughts on your role and your company's role in Bitcoin and sort of preserving the ethos? I generally think we should do things that benefit the people as a whole and increase the probability that the future is good. So to me, it just seems self-evident that we should take these set of actions most likely to make the future good. And I think probably crypto or at least some of the cryptocurrencies will make the future better, most likely. I always think of these things in terms of probabilities, but I think it's probably better for there to be a prosperous Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, maybe some others in the future. And I think it can have an empowering effect for individuals and increase the power of the individual relative to government. If you think of government, government is just a corporation in the limit. So sometimes some people are like against corporations, but for government. It's like, guys... Government is just a corporation in the limit. It's the biggest corporation of all, and it's got a monopoly on violence. So if you don't like corporations, you should really hate government. There you go. All right. We'll try to wrap up in 10 minutes. So let's move on to future of Bitcoin. So Tesla and Square have both put Bitcoin on the 
balance sheet. Kathy, I'm curious to hear from you, what advice would you have for other institutions looking to put their coin on their balance sheet? Well, I guess the first piece of advice is just make sure, and I actually learned this after both Square and Tesla put Bitcoin on their balance sheet, you know, Bitcoin is being treated as an intangible asset. And so we need to get FASB to reconsider this because with an intangible asset, if the asset goes up in price, it can't be marked up on their books. But if it goes down, it must be marked down. So there's some asymmetry there, which is we need to change that given what we believe Bitcoin is. And I do believe if, uh, I'll harken back to something, well, it was either Elon or Jack said, think about it. You take away the boundaries, the different currencies, just think about how explosive growth could be and how wide reaching taking the friction out of the system could be. So I would encourage corporations to think about that, that this ability to do business anywhere in the world, ultimately, obviously, we're paving the way here. That's certainly a consideration. It also will serve as a hedge against inflation, especially, as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of emerging markets that are suffering from significant inflation. In other words, the purchasing power of those populations is going down. So they are going to migrate to Bitcoin and other ways to preserve purchasing power. And again, being able to sell to them in that kind of currency would be very useful. I'd also suggest once again, this idea Deflation, I think, is going to be a real thing. There's going to be good deflation caused by innovation. So demand will boom because of that. There's going to be bad deflation because so many companies out there have not been investing enough in innovation. Their products are going to go obsolete and they're going to be stuck trying to service the debt that they piled on because their shareholders wanted profits and wanted them now. You know, so they leveraged up to buy back their shares and pay dividends. And they, so I think that's going to be the source of bad deflation and counterparty risk. And we learned from 0809 that counterparty risk can be devastating, almost cataclysmic. So a hedge against that as well, I think, would be another reason to do it. It's funny that Tesla's bank balances in Europe have negative interest rates. It drives me crazy. Uh, (laughs) Technically, if you've got like 2% inflation, on 1% interest, you're technically minus 1% return. But nonetheless, it is quite annoying to just see your bank balance drop in real time in Europe. It's, Europe has negative interest rates. This is insane. Yeah. Paying the banks, <laughs> what? Paying the banks to hold the bank to keep yeah. your money. <laughs> I'm like, what? It is crazy. Like, what? We definitely move that into Bitcoin. <laughs> I believe Ray Dalio said buy Bitcoin and not bonds. So there you go. Jack, you've talked about design being an underfunded area in Bitcoin. And Elon earlier mentioned, you know, usability could improve a lot. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. What do you see as the future of how can design impact Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I think the Bitcoin network is beautifully designed as a protocol in the way it works. I mean, it went after a single problem and it it does in an absolutely astounding way. But I think the endpoints of people getting into it is still a little bit confusing. So I think the more energy we spend on wallets and making sure that the wallets are simple and accessible and they're non-custodial as well. I think the best example of this is that I know of is probably this wallet called Moon. And it's just simple, straightforward. It's a great, it does an amazing thing with key management that you know my mom and friends new to Bitcoin can understand. It does amazing in storage and it also has a very clever implementation of Lightning so that you can use it in a transactional way without having to think about it, just with QR codes in a way that makes sense. So more work like that, I think, really brings us forward. Great. Let's wrap things up with a final question for each of you. I guess, what is your hope for Bitcoin, how it can impact the world? Elon, do you want to start with that? What's your hope for Bitcoin? Well, my hope for, I guess, crypto in general is that it can improve the efficiency of the information system that we call money. So if the core efficiency of money is improved and money has less error, where, like I said, error is like any kind of government interference or fraud or anything like that, this will naturally lead to basically a better standard of living and more power to the individual, which I very much agree with. Kathy? Yeah, and I would segue from what Elon just said is, you know, money has powerful network effect qualities. So... We talked about ESG earlier. I think that, of course, that aspiration 
having this money be the best from an ESG point of view. That's really talking about solving some of the world's problems right now, which we definitely want to do. But I also am very excited about this idea of network effect and the convergence of blockchain technology and artificial intelligence from a technology point of view. Think about the internet in the earliest days. We couldn't imagine what was going to happen, but the impetus to growth was pretty incredible. So I am looking at this rules-based monetary policy for better lives around the world, as we've just said, but I'm also looking at the technology itself and the convergence between blockchain technology and artificial intelligence to change the world in ways that we cannot imagine right now, solving even more problems, but creating more opportunities as well, which is the history of technology and disruptive innovation. Jack, what's your hope for Bitcoin? Uh, my hope is that it creates world peace or helps create world peace. I mean, Elon said it earlier, like it, we have all these monopolies of violence and the individual doesn't have power. And the amount of cost and distraction that comes from our monetary system today is real. And it takes away attention from the bigger problems. Some of the bigger problems that Elon is trying to solve, like get us to a multi-planetary humanity. All these distractions that we have to deal with on a daily basis take away from those bigger goals that affect every single person on this planet, increasingly so. So it may sound a little bit ridiculous, but like you fix that foundational level and everything above it improves in such a dramatic way. So it's going to be long-term, but my hope is definitely peace. That's fantastic. Well, I'd like to thank all three of you for giving us your time today. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you to the audience for tuning in. The B word is not just this discussion, but we have a lineup of incredible speakers and content. So I encourage everyone to check it out. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Thank you all. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.